Blog Talk Radio. of Cinema Noir. This is Candace Frederick, and today is Sunday, June 5th, and we're, we have a lot to talk about today with you guys. Um, one is we're going to talk about Roots, which premiered on the History Channel um, about a week ago, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We have a couple of different news items that we want to bring to your attention, and so we're going to discuss that, as well as the Tony Awards. Um, Tony Award nominations, which are going to air next a week from today. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the nominations and diversity and um, possibly predictions as well. And um, I'm sure many of you heard that over the weekend, I believe it was Friday night, um, the late, well, Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali, the boxer and humanitarian, um, passed away at age 74. Four. So we are going to talk a little bit about how Hollywood portrayed him on the big screen and a little bit about his legacy as well. So um, without further ado, um, I was, actually, I forgot to tell you guys. So uh, I want to also introduce my two co-hosts as well, um, Rebecca and Kimberly. Happy Sunday, ladies. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Okay, so we're going to get right into it, the news, Um, three news items that kind of came through um, over the last two weeks since we last chatted. One was um, Stella, I'm sorry, let me just go back a little bit, Um, Stella Meggy, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that name correctly, but um, she has just signed on to direct Nicola Yoon's um, YA novel or a film adaptation of the YA novel Everything Everything um, and it is supposed it's supposed to be about um, that it centers around a 17 year old girl with severe combined immunodeficiency causing multiple allergies which prevents her from leaving the house um, that is really all I know about the concept of the novel itself and I'm not sure if it's a, it's a single story or whether it's a series um, but I'm all for YA adaptations featuring um, women of color or people of color and God knows we don't really get a lot of those so are you guys familiar with either of the talent or the novel that we thought about? Um, well I, I haven't I actually just ordered the novel today <laughs> on, um, on Amazon but um, I'm just really excited about this because I know we've been talking about this since we've been doing this podcast about how, you know, with all these uh, YA adaptations like Hunger Games and Twilight, we rarely get, um, well, not, hardly get any, like, big screen adaptations of any 
um, YA novels written by women of color. So, and, and especially of note, Stella Meggie is a Jamaican-American um, director. She, her film debut was at um, South by Southwest a couple of months ago. She has a, it's coming out sometime this summer, I think. It's called Jean of the Joneses, um, and it's kind of semi-autobiographical, loosely based on her life. But of note, the whole cast is a whole cast of black actresses, um, like Gloria mm-hmm. Rubin and um, uh, Taylor Page. If you watch um, Hit the Floor, the, the cheerleading series on VH1, she's the star of that show. Um, and also Erica Ash, who I love on Survivors and more. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. I mean, to have, like, a black mm-hmm. director directing a book written by a black woman um, is just really exciting to me. So um, mm-hmm. I, I haven't read the book, so I don't know what the race of, the protagonist or the characters of the novel are, but I'm hoping <laughs> we'll get a cast of color. If if, if they're not, I'm, it would be great if they could race bend them because, you know, based on the synopsis of the book, it does it doesn't seem like it would be race specific. So. Mm. Yeah, I haven't think, read though? the book. I haven't read the book either, but um, like Rebecca said, I'm super excited about um, Gina the Joneses. Um, been hearing mm-hmm. a lot about that, so looking forward to that yeah. definitely, and just seeing what Stella, you know, does with that, and this, like we've been talking about, you know, we don't have a lot of films for young people of color, so I think it would be a, if, if the protagonist is a person of color, that would be a great opportunity to see what she does with that. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be on TV, or I can't. Can't really oh, recall. It's, it's going to be on the big screen. A studio project. I think it was studio. Oh, good. Because mm-hmm. I know that we do. I know Disney, um, particularly Disney Channel, and maybe ABC Family is a little more kinder, a little kinder to diversity and um, uh, heroines of color, rather mm-hmm. than the big screen, which does not have it at all um right particularly and I, I remember when we discussed um divergent series and I, I believe it was me and you rebecca who were talking mm-hmm. about zoe kravitz being probably better suited to lead that franchise um yeah. that, or <laughs> i i particularly was more fascinated with her than um i forget the girl's name the other Shailene, one Shailene woodley yes yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> yes so um Clearly, that's how memorable she is. I don't even remember her name. But, um, yeah. (laughs) So, hopefully, this is the first of many. This will hopefully start a trend of um, films like this and or films featuring young talent of color. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. know who they'll get to star in it. I don't think that's been um, revealed just yet. But um, I know particularly when it comes to YA novels of the mainstream set, they, um, what has been the trend are girls with some type of like terminal illness. And it seems like this is going to kind of, um, piggyback a little bit off of maybe not a terminal illness, but somebody who is sick or disabled of some sort. So, um, this should, you know, be as popular and imagine as those, but I, um, I don't, I'm not familiar with the novel, but I'm all for the just the concept. Yeah, and then also of note too, um, Ava, I, I think they announced this a, a few weeks ago um, because Ava DuVernay is directing the um, adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time, 
Um, and I think they said that the casting, of, there's been a decision to make the family biracial. So the protagonist, mm. like the, the young woman and her brother, will both be biracial, which I think is fantastic. So, mm. yeah. Interesting. Hopefully that'll, that'll yeah. be a floodgate. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and isn't um, Hermione... Is that am I am I pronouncing her name right? Is Hermione? she going to be white? Oh, see, I, I pronounced it all wrong. <laughs> but isn't she isn't she going to be played by a young black girl? And her, um, I think her parents are interracial. I can't remember. Yeah, well, they're they're doing a, a stage adaptation. They're doing a play in London, um, and it's basically the the more grown up versions of the Harry Potter uh, characters, and so they cast um, a black actor to play the grown-up Hermione, and there was, like, mm. this whole, um, there was this whole online controversy um, where J.K. Rowling was just basically, like, battling with racists that were like, oh, how dare you make Hermione black and blah, 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 you know, and she was like, well, if you read the description of the character in the book, it said that she had brown skin and, you know, wild, bushy hair or whatever, so I never, she, she was basically saying that I never, that she never specified Hermione's race, so she was like, I don't understand why you guys are in your feelings. And I, I give kudos to J.K. Rowling for that. What I do give her minus points for is while it is nice that this stage adaptation will have um, a black Hermione, it would have been nice if the big screen version, if the, if the franchise had actually cast a biracial or a black actress in the role because, I mean, how many people are really going to see this play? I mean, it's important. I'm not downplaying the importance of the play, but the franchise is like how many billion dollars? How important would it have been if you had cast an actress of color as Hermione? You know, it's my question. Like that, you know, it's like it's good that you're coming in now, but it's like where were you when they were making the casting decision? You know what I mean? Because I know for a fact. I'm sure sure Hollywood did not want that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not very familiar with the fran- with with you know the story or anything like that, but I'm fairly certain Hollywood was like, mm, no, nope, we don't <laughs> want that at all. That sounds awful. Yeah. I can see that. So, I can see them saying that. Yeah, I can totally. See yeah. That. For them, brown skin means a nice tan. Yeah, it's like, oh no, we're not gonna make any money off, money off of that. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> anywho, um. Another interesting um, headline that crossed my path um, maybe two days ago or so, um, another name I'm going to butcher, um, Rick, Rick Famuyiwa, um, who I know mostly from um, The Wood. Did he do The Wood or? Uh, yeah, he did The Wood is, and yeah, he did the Sugar yeah. and Dope. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't going to get to dope, but I know that that's what most people um, in more recent <laughs> years are familiar with him yeah. or, or relate him to. I hated that movie with all my passion, um, <laughs> but I loved, I loved the wood. Um, and so I do know that he is a talented filmmaker. So anyway, he has just signed on to direct a big screen adaptation of The Flash, which has been in my queue. The TV version has been in my, my queue to watch forever. So hopefully I can get to that before this movie comes out, which they say would be there. Well, they're slating it for March 16, 2018. Um, okay. And I'm going to shoot this right over to Rebecca. What do you think? Um, I think it's great. There's a couple of reasons why I think this is a great idea. Number one, 
the original – well, let me preface this by saying that I'm a huge fan of the TV show of The Flash. I am in love with Grant Gustin, who plays Barry Allen, The Flash, and I think he has done a fantastic job. They're going into season three, and he's just – he's gone above and beyond the call of playing this role. I mean, he really shows up for this role. So um, that being said, when DC decided that they're doing a big screen version, they were like, well, we're not casting – the same actor, you know, separate universes. So they cast Ezra Miller. Um, and then they cast, I think, um, for the director originally, uh, his name was Seth Graham Green. I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. But mm-hmm. here's the thing. Seth Graham Green, if you go to his IMDb page, he has minimal directing experience. So a lot of mm-hmm. people were like, you're handing over, like, a, you know, a, a major franchise with at least a $100 or $150 million budget. And you know it's going to be high because they're going to have to do all the CGI and FX for the Flash, you know, like, why would you give that to someone so experienced in green? But, you know, this is the old song in Hollywood. So mm-hmm. that happened, and then there seems that there were creative differences. He dropped out, um, and then the news dropped with um, recently you, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Mm, I know, I talked um, about myself. Yeah, this guy, I mean, Rick Samir, like, the wood came out in, like, what, 1999? This is the guy, he's a, he's a uh-huh. as far as I'm concerned, he is a seasoned director okay he's been in the game for almost two decades um you know you know how it is where as a director of color you just kind of go under the radar as far as the major studios are concerned so i'm glad that they have gotten someone um you know with experience and of note that they picked a director of color to direct a mainstream franchise you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and mind you i'm not saying just because you're black you should do you should do whatever you want but i thought it was interesting that they did that that they really looked at his body of work and was like you know and and it to me it seems like this we were like this is a good fit um i know that dope is very controversial for a lot of people there are a lot of people who hate the movie like you do (laughs) and there are people like me i like dope but i saw the flaws like, I could definitely see why people hated that movie, you know what I mean, or, or disliked it. Um, I, I had one of my friends on, on Twitter, I forget what her name is, she was live tweeting while she was watching it, and she was like, I just hate, like, this special snowflake of blackness that this movie was pushing. Um, and I understood it, you know what I mean? Because I went to high school, and I wasn't teased because I wanted to go to college and read books. I, I don't know which reality that is, but whatever. Um, that being said, there was a youthfulness and an energy of dope that I think will be greatly, um, that would be great for the flash. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that, that it's a, it's a good match. Um, like I said, you know, I'm still going to see if Ezra Miller is going to do his thing because I'm still team Gustin. But, um, the big question too is, um, what, as far as the show, um, Thank you. The show, um, the love interest of Barry Allen on the show is played by a black actress uh, named Candace Patton, who does a fantastic job. Um, the question is, will the big screen version race bend Iris West as well? Because they end up getting married and having kids or whatever. So the question is, if Iris West is going to be in the big screen version of The Flash, seeing as we have a black director, will he also go in the same direction and cast a black actress to play Iris West? That would be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My mm-hmm. opinion is, I I think it would, it would be cool. I think it's I think it's a good move. The other thing that I'm also open, seeing as, and I'm just speaking from DC's point of view, seeing as they're saying that the TV universe and the movie universe are totally separate, I would also be open to a Latina Iris West 
a Native American Iris West, an Asian American Iris West. I would be, as long as it's a woman of color, I'm fine with that. <laughs> now, who's Iris? Um, Iris is very, and she's a, she's a reporter for Central City, and she is, I hate using the word love interest, but in the comic book, she is, um, she is Barry Allen's wife. They start out, you know, as friends, they start dating, they get married or whatever. So, um, yeah, so I think the, the question for a lot of people they're looking at, Rick from you are like, yeah, are we getting a white Iris West or, you know, are you going to race bender again? So I, I think they should continue mm. with race bending Iris West. I think it's a good look. Um, you know, I'm not really sure which other characters they're going to have in the movie. I have an idea. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, as long as Iris West is, a, is an actress of color, I think that it's, I think it's a good look. Um, I mean, for Spider-Man, I mean, Zendaya has been cast in the new Spider-Man reboot. They're not saying what role she's playing, but I highly, highly suspect that she might be playing Mary Jane. Um, so I think they're kind cool. of, yeah, which would be cool. Because, mm-hmm. of course, here came the racist fanboys. Well, Zendaya can't play <laughs> Mary Jane because Mary Jane is a redhead. Um, yeah, black men have red hair, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, there's a theory, of course, I'm just saying, yeah. I, I would be, I mean, because I've always been really bored by Mary Jane's character, and I, and, and I do use the term, I, I mean, the phrase, even though I know you don't like it, but I, I think that she's straight up just a love interest, at least in the adaptations I've seen. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing really interesting about her. Mm-hmm. Same goes for um, a couple of other characters like that that are just basically, like, the girl that the superhero wants to get. Um, yeah. And so I, that's why I asked who Iris West was. I was like, does she do? Mm-hmm. Is she a superhero? I was like, oh my God, does she a superhero? But it doesn't sound like she is. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not really familiar with The Flash. I don't watch the show and I haven't done, read the comic books, but I do like Rick. And, um, you know, Brown Sugar is one of my absolute favorite films. I love it. Mm-hmm. But more recently, in addition to Dope, which I liked, and I understand why some people didn't, but um, he did Confirmation with Kerry Washington and Wendell Pierce, yeah. which was really mm-hmm. good. Like, really mm-hmm. good. So clearly the franchise is in capable hands with him at the helm. I think he's proven yeah. himself. I question, I, because I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. No, a question because I, I can't remember because I know he wrote and directed Dope. Um, did he write and direct Confirmation? Because No, uh, he just no. directed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. think Susanna Grant is the one who wrote Confirmation. Okay. I, if I remember correctly, okay, she's the one who wrote Aaron Brockovich, um, the one who wrote Confirmation. So, But, yeah, yeah. The, the no. Flash has a different – I think there's a different – I'm trying to remember who's writing the screenplay for the Flash movie. Um, I'll look it up, but yeah, I think Rick will just be mostly on directing unless he decides he wants to rewrite the bell. I mean, right now DC's not doing so well, so any help they can get right now would be great. <laughs> Is all I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, but I like I said, I loved Confirmation. I thought it was amazing. He did a great mm-hmm. job with that, so I look forward to seeing what he does with the flash. I might actually have to see it and I'm not you know, not the comic book person, but I right. you know, they might win me around with all these people of color involved, so we'll see. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a good move too because it's like like you said, I think you you know, that you just have to open your mind up as to the type of directors that can helm superhero 
um, you know, superhero movies, it's usually the most unlikely people that you would never think of, and they end up knocking it out the park. Like um, the Russo brothers, uh, you know, with Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War, if I remember correctly, they had like a TV background, and like most of the shows that they wrote for were canceled within like one or two <laughs> seasons. So these were not like veteran TV writers. These were kind of guys that kind of went from show to show, but you know, Marvel took a chance with them, and they just really just took to it like fish to water. They were just like, and they're to me like they're the best right now. Like Civil War is just mind blowing. I love Winter Soldier. So um, yeah, I think yeah, I think Rick might might actually bring something special to the to the Flash franchise. He's definitely good at portraying friendships, and as you say, um, just youth. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the age range of the characters in the Flash series, but he seems mm-hmm. that seems to be Rick's sweet spot. Um, just youth and um, just kind of coming of age, so to speak. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> the another uh, interesting headline is the casting. Um, Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett Smith um, have signed on to to join um, Girl Trip, which is which was already starring Regina Hall, um, and Will Packer produced the feature. It was written by Blackish creator Kenya Barish, and um, also written by co-written by Tracy Oliver, who wrote Barbershop: The Next Cut, which I think is the most current film in the franchise. So the film follows four best friends who travel to New Orleans for the annual Essence Festival where friendships are rekindled and wild sides are revealed. What do you guys think? (laughs) I'm here for it. I love it. I just think Regina Hall, anytime that she's on screen, I am extremely happy because she is ridiculously funny. Like, I feel like she's so underrated. She's She's just hilarious, and so I'm excited mm-hmm. about her. Queen Latifah and Jada, you know, I, I love them both. Haven't seen them together since Set It Off, so I'm interested in seeing how mm-hmm. it all plays out. Um, Tracy Oliver, didn't she write for Awkward Black Girl, too? Yeah. Yeah, she was okay. the one who was, she was Jay's nemesis. She was like the stuck-up coworker who was okay, always yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. did not know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think of the casting in the film, Rebecca, so far? I think it's great. I mean, I am such a fan. I'm just co-signing what Ken said about Regina Hall. I think she's really, like, a slept-on talent. She is so funny. Not real life on screen. She's super funny. I think she's really a re- one of the best comic actresses we have. I just feel like, the you know, studios and directors just haven't. Um, picked up on it. I should say more mainstream directors haven't picked up on it. Um, but uh, this will be my shameless plug. She did this indie movie last year um, called People, Places, and Things. Um, and mm-hmm. it was Regina Hall, Jermaine Clement, and Jessica Williams from The Daily Show were on it. So she played Jessica Williams' mom. And uh, Regina Hall's character was actually, I think she was a professor of um, American literature. Um, at Columbia or NYU or something like that. So, but she was just so good in that movie. I, if, if, I think it's on on Netflix streaming if, if you get a chance to watch it. Um, and I and I think I remember hearing that she has a 
a pilot deal at, at Hulu. I don't remember what the name of the show is, but there's some show that she's supposed to be doing um, or headlining. Oh, cool. you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm I'm really glad that she's getting all of these opportunities. Oh, Kim, doesn't she have a new movie coming out with Morris Chestnut in, like, September? It's called When the Bow Breaks. It's some sort of, yeah, I think like, so. thriller. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So she's definitely – like doing her thing, so I'm I'm just hoping. See now, this is this just reminds me of why I'm so really salty with like you know there's the Ocean's Eleven remake right that's Andrew Bullock is supposed to be helming and the new there's another came out. remake. Yes, another remake. Right. So it's be a remake of the remake. A remake of the a re remake. A re remake. So it's going to be an all girl, an all female cast of Ocean's Eleven. Um, you know, and everybody's just been having their wish list of who they want in there. And I was just like, like, I have my little wish list. Like, I would love Regina Hall in there, Jessica Williams in there, Aisha Tyler, Taraji. Um, there's just so many, like, really dope, funny actresses out there. But, of course, what do we hear now? They're saying that Kate Blanchett is, like, negotiating to play the Brad Pitt role. Um, or the Brad Pitt equivalent in, in Ocean's Eleven. And I'm like, that's the role I wanted for Taraji. Mm, <laughs> so, interesting. So, yeah, they haven't seen this in a It's nine more roles that have to be filled out. But I'm just hoping that they will not be lazy and just, you know, give it like two token mm. roles and think, oh, that's a, diva- a diverse cast. I feel like if it's Ocean's Eleven and it's 11 roles, I feel like at least, four to five of those roles need to be cast as actresses of color. That's just my 25 cents. <laughs> Constance Wu, Gina Rodriguez. Yeah. America mm-hmm. Ferrera. Yeah. Love yes. Gina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to choose from. I mean, they might, I don't know what their age range is supposed to be because I know in the original and the remake of Ocean's Eleven, they were way older than their twenties in that. They were yeah, like forties right. and up. So I don't I don't they might be the people I just mentioned might be too young for it, but you know, they should definitely like like if they say Eva Longoria maybe. Mm-hmm. Um but that that seems more fitting if they're looking for a particular age group. Yeah. But that's interesting. Yeah, I think that, I think um, there shouldn't be an I think there shouldn't be any ageism as far as like it should be a mix of young and new. Like in my head, I I wanted Aisha Tyler, Aisha Tyler and Jessica Williams to play like sisters. <laughs> in the, remember in the in, remember in the one it was James Caan and Casey Affleck. They were like the fighting the dueling siblings that were always fighting and trying to one up each other. So I mm-hmm. thought like Aisha Tyler and Jessica Williams would be great like that because they both have that very dry and sarcastic sense of humor and they kind of look alike so yeah i don't know jessica williams i'm looking her up now um just oh she's yeah she's on the daily show she does a lot of the commentary okay okay Mm -hmm. that would be cool and so i looked up the um the name of the pilot um Mm -hmm. the hulu pilot for regina hall it's called Mm -hmm. crush and it doesn't seem to have a date yet Um, but it was announced in January, and nothing. Um, there hasn't really been any announcements since then. But, but I love her. I know she's she's on Blackish. She does. She she has a recurring role. Yeah, Black Nanny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. So that should be interesting. Um, I forget what we were originally talking about. Oh, the girl trip. Yeah. Um. 
I hope there's just a lot of debacle in terms of just hope it's not like, oh, two, you know, a couple, like four best friends, they go out and they do like, I hope they get wild. Like I want like, <laughs> our equivalent of like a hangover type of thing. I want them right. to lose their yes. mind and really make some bad decisions. Because I feel yes. like there's, when we talk about particularly black women portrayals, they have to be either like way left or, or way right. They're either like mm-hmm. heckheads or they're like so like asexual, <laughs> smart, super like perfect in every way. And I'm just like, okay, yeah. I, I need these people to be like buck wild, make some bad decisions. And I like just really, because I feel like, you know, that's um, Regina Hall can play that. Easily, exactly, and, yes, and, and probably um, Queen Latifah. She might be like the straight laced one, um, and um, Jada Pinkett, who I never really know what to expect from her. Um, last thing I think I saw her in Wisconsin. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just thinking like for Jada, I'm just referring to her role in Gotham. She she's so good at playing that. I love her. As the minute she left the show after the first season, I was like, okay, I quit this show. Yeah. So, yes. I think I even left before then because it was just, I don't know what was going on. But she was really good on it, though. I liked her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to move on to um, Roots, which landed 5.3 million viewers. Um, wow. Yeah, I think that was after two nights. Um, Four. And so I saw, actually, now that I now that I remember, I did see the premiere episode um, when I was at Sundance or April. Um, but what did you guys think? I didn't see the uh, follow-up episode. Um, would you, or actually, I know, Rebecca, you're the only one who saw it, like, through, throughout. What did you think of the um, entire series? I... I, I'm going to be honest and admit that, like, when they, it, I was just like, I don't know why we need a remake of Bruce. This doesn't seem necessary to me because I'm very attached to the 1977 version. I thought, you know, they did a, a great job. And, um, you know, I, if I remember correctly, the, the original one, 1977, they had, like, they were averaging, like, 30 million viewers a night. It was some ridiculous amount of people. I remember, like, you know, my mom making dinner and, my dad, you know, whatever, like, hey, tonight we're going to watch Roots or whatever. And my dad never watches television. Um, so that was really, like, that water cooler, like, oh, you see Roots and whatever. So I really wasn't sure what they said with the remake, but I have to say that they really put a lot of work into this. I'm, I'm not going to say that it's better. That's good. I'll be betraying the original one. But I think that this one, they really put their time um, – Particularly with the first episode, they really um, explored um, Punta's origins of uh, being from the Mendica tribe and just with the, the costumes and the, cinema, and the cinematography. Like, it really felt like you were watching a movie. You know, it was, it was on that level. It was very epic. But at the same time, it was very intimate. You really got to, um, the, the actor who played Punta, Malachi Kirby, I think his name is. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there like, and I think that's one of the things that I loved about the Roots remake is that they introduced so much new talent. Um, uh, Malachi mm-hmm. Kirby, who played um, Kunta, Kunta, the actor who played Chicken George, uh, I think his name is Jean Renee Page, who's British, by the way, that blew my mind because his accent was like pretty much flawless to me. Um, and also the that actor. That was Malachi. 
Uh, so it's not that. Hot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so crazy. And then um, a, the other person that really blew me away was the actress who played the young Kizzy. Um, I think her, I forget what her, is it Mary Christensen, I think? Wow. Mm-hmm. What, where did they find this girl? I was just looking at her like, <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I love the Nika Noni Rose. Don't get me wrong. I loved her as the older Kizzy, but she, the, the actress who played the younger Kizzy, she was just fantastic. She just owned every shot she was in. It was so good. Um, and I, I was really impressed by Chicken George. I will say that as far as the storyline of Chicken George, I think the remake did a much better job. This is not a knock against Ben Vereen. I think it was more the writing. But I think with this Chicken George, we really got the, you know, because he was sort of like that outgoing kind of playing up to the white folks or whatever, but I really think it was really, it was kind of like, you know, how they say we were the, the double consciousness, right, how black people, we wear two faces, right, the faces we wear in front of white people and the face that we, you know, wear when we're with our own people, and I think they really made Chicken George uh, more complex, you know what I mean? He was flawed, was a perfect, he didn't make some of the, some of the decisions he made were kind of questionable, um, but I really like that they really went deeper with that character. Um, and with the Kizzy character, too. I, I will say, uh, with Ruth, it was very triggering because there's a few sexual assault scenes in this uh, in this remake. Uh, I mean, Ruth had it, you know what I mean, but they kind of hinted. But this one, to me, with the remake was a lot more brutal. Um, and it was very triggering, and it was hard to watch, but... This is what happened, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't feel that the writers were being gratuitous. It's just that, you know, black women's bodies were just seen as commodities, you know, back then. So, um, but, yeah, I think the writing was, was great. The acting was incredible. The costumes, specifically, like, the costumes back in that were just so beautiful, just the colors. It was just so vibrant. Like, you really felt like you were there. Um, and so, it, for anybody, I mean, I was just coming off the of underground, so I was just like, I just got off the underground. I don't know if I'm ready to tackle roots right now, but I'm glad I did. Um, so for, you know, whoever, you know, feels like, you know, they're not ready for it, whenever you're ready, I'm pretty sure it's on demand. I'm sure hopefully Netflix will option it, but I'll you know, sell it on DVD. Definitely take a look at it. I, I don't think that this remake was gratuitous at all, um, and, and there were definitely scenes in roots that echoed uh, some of the things that were going on. There are some of the things that are going on today, um, which is very unsettling. So, yeah, I think kudos. I think Will Packer was one of the executive producers. LeVar Burton also signed as a producer. And he, he's, in the, he's in one of the scenes, like, quickly, if you blink, you'll miss him. But I, I think they did a fantastic job. And so I'm hoping if the ratings hold up and it's, people are happy. They only told half of the story because I think they only get up to the end of the Civil War and you know that there's a lot more story after that. So hopefully they'll do their equivalent of Roots the Next Generation. Um, you know, and continue ca- you know, casting new talent because that's that's what we need to do. So yeah, it was it was great. It was great. Yeah. Um at the premiere one of the things that I found striking about um one of the things that um Malachi Kirby had said he as Native African, he was just like, I have seen many African movies where, you know, the 
it was a lot of the portrayals are just very downtrodden, very just like depressing and everything. And obviously this deals with a very depressing nature or very de- depressing topics and subject matter. But it's, there's such a beauty in the portrayal of it and not just in the acting, but also in the cinematography and just the way it's constructed um, visually. Um, and I know through the director and the filmmakers behind it as well, um, which I thought was really, really interesting because that was one of the things I found particularly interesting when I watched um, the first episode was that it was just, there's such a beauty in the way that um, just the photography and the costuming and um, just just the, the narrative, I think. Um, and another thing, correct me if I'm wrong, but the director, or at least one of the directors, he was, or he is the descendant of the director of the first film of the of the original. Oh wow. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to take a look because I think each because I think there were four different directors for mm-hmm. each episode. But I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll look that up. Then I think Mario Van Peebles um, directed one of the episodes, correct? That's what I heard too. I I yeah. only saw one episode, but that's what I heard. Yeah, mm-hmm. and his son was in it. His son was in the second episode. He played a character named Noah, and oh, he is like the spitting image of Mario Van Peebles. He's so <laughs> handsome. I think I think his name is um, Mandela. Van Peebles mm-hmm. or something. I, I'll have to look it up. But yeah, he was he was really good in it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they um, the panel which also included Erica Tazel, who I love. She's from um, she's from Justified, and she plays. Let me just look it up because she wasn't in the episode that I saw. So I'm just gonna look her up real fast. Matilda. Uh, she's Matilda. So um, her was um, the costume, or the yeah, the costume designer who also designed Selma costumes. Oh, Luke Carter, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Will Packer was there, so they were all kind of talking about their experiences and um, just kind of being on the set and just recreating the story. Um, and another, a theme that they constantly went back to is the relevance of. Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matter, which is um, yeah. something that they reiterated a lot. And oh, I know they're still sure. talking about it even in interviews. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you can really tell that the creatives, the creatives really put a lot of work into this, and it, it really wasn't for shock value or for, like, you know, they're really fleshing out our history. And I really feel like I know there's been a huge debate about, um, oh, another slave movie, oh, another slave narrative, which is actually kind of false because Shadow and Act, and shout out to them, they actually did an article where they listed all the black TV shows and movies in production right now or soon to be released. Slave narratives are actually in the, are in the minority, right? The only movie coming out this year that's really dealing with it is The Birth of a Nation with Nate Parker. I think Free State of Jones is coming out in June. That's it. You know what I mean? So the, this idea of, like, there's so many slave movies is factually incorrect. <laughs> it, it's not. Mm. It's really not that much. But what is interesting, I think, or what is important is that we tell those stories. I think the slave stories and the slave narratives that have come out before have been um, told from, you know, a white point of view or white creatives and their, you know, imaginations of what they think 
slave narratives are. And I think there definitely is a difference when we take control of those narratives and we speak for our ancestors. I think there, you, you, there's a marked difference between the two. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think um, what is what is part of the conversation, at least in my perspective, is that these types of films with these with um, quote unquote slave narratives are the ones that most people are talking about. Whether the quantity matches the level of conversation, I, maybe not. But these are the movies and the TV shows that are getting the most accolades and recognition over often over other narratives. Not to say that they should be downplayed, not to say that we should get rid of them or whatnot. It's just really about variety and um, appreciating the variety of talent and genre that we can um, we can create. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that uh, that underground, but uh, again, too, American Crime came out. And that was a very critically mm-hmm. acclaimed show. People versus O.J. Simpson. Whew. I didn't even want to mm-hmm. see that show, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was great. Like they did a great job. So I definitely see your your point, Candice, because I, you know, it's it's those kind of stories, particularly you know from mainstream um, outlets point of view. Those are the ones that'll get the clicks, right? When when you talk about race or gender or you know anything like that, those are the ones that are just sort of like the the hot topics that people want to write about, and because they know once they publish it then people will have reactions, they'll retweet it, and it'll cause conversation, mm-hmm. which gives them more traffic. Mm-hmm. And so it's just sort of, you know, so I, I do feel, and so I definitely see your point. And, I, you know, and, and like I tell black moviegoers, it, it is up to us to balance that out by going out to support, you know, modern narratives too, right? Like, um, uh, uh, who is it? There's the movie that's coming out this summer, um, uh, Southside with you with Tika mm-hmm. Sumter um, that you know recreate Michelle and Barack's first date. Go see that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go see that yeah. movie it's coming exactly. out. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. yeah, it's going. It's coming out this summer. There's a movie that just came out. It's it's only limited release. It's in New York and LA, um, and it's called The Fit. Um, that uh, the main character is, is a little is a, a black teenager. The actress's name is Royal Hightower, and it's getting mm-hmm. like the New York Times and the LA Times like the they, people are raving about this movie. So if you are in the New York and LA you know area, go support that. So you know, and then all of Ava DuVernay's movies. I think all of the Array movies are on Netflix streaming. Correct? Netflix, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, they like, are. Give them, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's like so if we want to encourage the industry to put out modern and futuristic narratives and, you know, like we got to show up, like we've, we've got to give mm-hmm. them that money. Like if, if Ruth is pulling down 5 million viewers, which is what mm-hmm. makes the network happy. Yeah. Then they're going to be like, Oh, we need to make more narratives like that. But no, but mm-hmm. like if we, if we watch shows like blackish, I know there's whole blackish versus empire debate, but mm-hmm. I was just like, well, let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> that was super, super disappointing this season. Oh my I, gosh, I, yes. I had issues. And meanwhile, Blackish just stepped their game it's up. Hilarious. I was looking at the show like, yeah. wait a minute. Like, the first season was good, don't get me wrong. But this second season of Blackish has really, they really outdone themselves. So, yeah, mm-hmm. when we give them viewership, even if it's, you know, DVR, watch it within 72 hours to give them those those mm-hmm. ratings. 
you know, like we've got to show up for ourselves. Like you can't, you can't mm-hmm. depend on, you know, the mainstream right. audience. It's us. It's true. I mean, I mean, you know, like I always say, I've been saying this since we started the show. Mm-hmm. If we go outside of Twitter, because um, yeah. there's a lot of black people who are not on Twitter. <laughs> and if we, people who don't watch, I mean, listen to our show, um, they're, they're not going to know about these other, these, these other, um, like Southside with you. Yeah. That guarantee like Birth of a Nation, I know people who don't even go to the movies who know about Birth of a right. Nation because that is mm-hmm. everywhere, <laughs> and they and so they're not going to know about Southside with you. I can talk mm-hmm. about it to them like like blue in the face, blue in the face. Like, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like I don't know what you're talking about. Like it's like it's only in like four or five theaters. Never like they're not coming it. out for right. like something like that. They're not gonna go drive out 50 miles just to go see a movie. Like they yeah. have to like and so they're gonna go. They're gonna be like I know Birth of a Nation is gonna be in every single theater, like, all across the country, <laughs> playing yep, simultaneously, right. po- possibly a different, <laughs> at the same theater and different, different like, showings. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's about access, and, and I understand why, why there are people who are just like, oh, I don't know about these other movies, because they don't, they don't get mm-hmm. that kind of support that other movies do get. And and it's yeah. sad. It's sad. It's just like so. It does give the perception like these are the only options, but there are other there are other movies to see, but they're just they, they're just not getting that support. Not getting. Yeah. No, right. that's a, that's an excellent point. Um, I'm sorry. No, as far as the birth of the nation, that's Fox Searchlight. So you know they're that's that's mm-hmm. going to be their Oscar baby. So you know they're going to put mm-hmm. everything. You know yeah. where Southside with you is. I don't know. Is it going to be limited release? Really? I believe it's limited. Yeah, but we've talked about it before. Like when we think of the films that get the accolades, like Oscar nominations, you know, these are not happy-go-lucky films. These are not, you know, films that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. They go for these, you know, dramatic, you know, dark, darker films. And when you deal with people Mm -hmm. of color, you know, what's the go-to slavery? You know, that's Mm -hmm. dark as they get. So we get our, you know. the 12 Years a Slave or Precious, or these are the films that, you know, the types of films that get, you know, that mainstream accolades, whereas, you know, we've had some amazing comedies out there that just get blown over because they're comedies, you know, or because mm-hmm. they're genre mm-hmm. films or because they're not these dark, sad, oppressive, what was me films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> the struggle. It is. Mm-hmm. The struggle continues. <laughs> the struggle continues. <laughs> Um, let's talk about the Tonys in, in my right. <laughs> Um, so that's going to air, I believe, um, next Sunday and next I don't remember Sunday. which channel, but check your local listings. CBS at eight o'clock. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I've only seen Eclipse and, um, oh gosh, what is it called? Oh, School of Rock, which is surprisingly amazing. Um, yeah. And I didn't see the movie, but my mom loves the movie. Um, and I know a lot of people who like the movie. I just um, have not gotten around. I'm not a big, what's his name? I'm not a big fan of his. Jack the Black. star of that movie. Yes. Yeah. So, but it's very, very good, very fun, very vibrant. He's the only adult, or no, there might be one other adult in the movie, and everybody's like these super talented kids that are super diverse, by the way. It's not just all white class. Oh, um, yeah, super diverse. There's Asian kids, there's Latina, um, Latino kids, there are um, uh, uh, black kids, two black girls who are really, really good. 
Um, but yeah, so I, I, those are my two that I, I kind of want them to just take everything. But then there's Hamilton, but, <laughs> um, which is <laughs> which is going to own own the awards. <laughs> Do you guys have any thoughts about just the um, representation and then, you know, the narrative that's coming out of the Tony Awards this year? I think it's great. Like, it's, I mean, with Hamilton, um, I have not seen Hamilton yet because I don't have the coins up yet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda just announced this week that he's leaving Hamilton. I'm like, oh, come on. I know. Yeah, by the time I get Tonys are diverse. No, Tonys have been diverse 
for many years. Broadway has been diverse for many years. There have been race bending on Broadway before the big screen and the small screen ever even knew about that. Okay, wow. let, let's keep that really, yeah, really clear. Like, right, I feel like we've talked about it on here before. Like, Ken Beverly, like, you talked about it here before. Like, Broadway is where it's at. It's like equal mm-hmm. opportunity, you know. Mm-hmm. It's where mm-hmm. you can see people of color being just regular people. It's not like a big deal. Like, there's no Tony yeah. so black. No, Tony so Tony. This is how they do. This is what they do. <laughs> exactly. This is what, this is what they, they do. do. This is what they do. Interracial relations. Isn't Audrey Audrey McDonald is like she has six Tonys, right? Six. Is, six am right. I, she has six, right? Mm. Six, yes. Okay. She breathes the Oscar, Tony Dominate. Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, <laughs> on the Oscar side, the only black girl is Halle Berry. But like yeah. Halle yep. would, would never have an actress of color with six Oscars. Mm-hmm. Never gonna mm-hmm. happen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But I mean, but Audrey is like a freaking force of nature, so. She is. <laughs> yeah, you know what she I mean? Is. Yeah, and so I, I was I was kind of shocked that, I don't know if you could tell me, um, Candace, because you're a little bit more knowledgeable. Like, why was she shut out of the nominations this year? Because they said they, she got great reviews for Shuffle Along. I'm a little confused. Um, I haven't seen the show yet. I've been desperate to see it, have not gotten around to it. But um, I, I wasn't totally, I mean, she literally has six Tonys. <laughs> And I, I'm, not, I'm not completely upset about that. I'm just like, well, let somebody else win a Tony for crying out loud. <laughs> like, so I wasn't totally upset about. It. I mean, we have Renee. I mean, there's so many other women so many. Um, in in major roles on Broadway. Danielle mm-hmm. Brooks. We have all the women from Eclipse. Including Lupita Nyong'o, so I'm just like, yeah, well, I'm not so bad. I'm not so not so hurt about that. Although it was kind of a glaring omission, just because she, I'm so used to seeing her all just the time. Just because she's always there. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I did yeah. read New York Times um, gave it kind of a tepid review. Um, yeah. partic- they said that the choreography was really good. I mean, it was Savian Glover. He's just amazing wow. all the time, mm-hmm. and he's okay. not. He's nominated here. Okay. But um, they said the story itself um, just wasn't particularly um, compelling. So they were Ooh. more coming. They were coming more on the narrative, and of course, the acting. The acting is amazing, and then Saving Glover just kind of puts it all together. And I'm a huge fan of Saving Glover. He's he's mm-hmm. probably the main mm-hmm. reason I want to see that. I've seen her, um, Audrey <laughs> McDonald, and um, uh, Porgy and Beth. So Ooh. I was, but I've never seen um, Savian Glover in anything, so or any of his choreography. Yeah. So I was super excited. You know, yeah. I've read Shuffle Along in undergrad, and it doesn't re- like I can't really remember a lot of the details, so I don't think it's that memorable. Mm. But the cast, you know, it sounds amazing, Savian Glover, and I know when mm-hmm. Audrey McDonald leaves, um, Ryan and Giddens, who is one of my favorite singers, she sang lead for the um, Carolina Chocolate Drops, is taking over the role. So I'm, like, dying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to get up there to see it. Um, and, of course, yeah. you know, I'm excited for everyone involved with that. Hamilton, it is so I'm good. Only, Please see that I, immediately. I, it's so good. Yes, you told me it's so good. I trust you completely. Plus, it's Lakita <laughs> and Danae. And so, like, how could that possibly be wrong? Like, on paper, mm-hmm. there's no way that could possibly even go wrong. 
Um, Hamilton, you know, again, because I don't have like a billion dollars for tickets, my access to Hamilton is strictly through the soundtrack, which is the most amazing thing I have ever heard in my entire life. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like, every time I listen to it, I hear something different, I get something new from it. Some days I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to cry in my office like a weirdo, and it's okay. I that. I love Hamilton with all my heart. Renee Elise Goldsberry is my capital F favorite person in the world, and so I'm so excited for her. Like, mm. like every day on my Facebook page is like, today in Hamilton News, you know, throughout a list of something, a video, a hand-to-hand. So I am so excited. I cannot wait for next week. It's just, yeah. I'm happy. I'm a very, very happy person. I want her to win so bad. I mean, I love all of them. I hope they all win, but Renee is the real deal, so I'm <laughs> team Renee is. all the way. Did you yeah. see her in the um the, the BET Awards last year when they did, like, yes. the, the cypher? Holy crap! Oh, She's my God, amazing. <laughs> yes, so in my office at work, and people are going to think I'm a total weirdo, I have a picture that I took with Renee, so people are like, who is this? Is this your family? I'm like, no, this is my BFF in my head. Like, that's how obsessed I am with Renee Elise Goldsberry, and I have no shame about yeah. it. Yep, I picked, her picture's in my office at work. Like, I'm so excited for her. It is. So and you know what's, what's so amazing, too? I mean, I guess some people may not think it's a big deal, but I think what's so refreshing, too, about the Tonys is that you have these black actresses that are in a diversity of skin tone and body, you know, body shapes or whatever. And, like, these are people who normally would not be able to even get a movie role, right, or be able to lead in a movie. And, you know, like, when I think about people like Heather Headley and um, mm. uh, what is her name? She is on Madam Secretary. She's a she's – Oh, Christina Miller. Christina Miller. Like yeah, like yeah. these brown skin actresses that – for the most part, Hollywood tells us, like, no, you know, like, you're dark skin or whatever. You're not desirable. You're not, you can't lead a movie or whatever. And yet these women are, like, doing it. You know what I mean? And it, it means, oh, I mean, Viola is from theater, too, so same thing. You know what I mean? Like, these are women mm-hmm. where it's, like, it's about the talent. Because you can't, you can't, no matter how cute you are, you cannot fake being on a stage. You know what I'm no, saying? No, like, not at all. I just, I, yeah, you, you can't do it. And I, I just think it's so great. Like, Danielle Brooks, I'm just so happy for her. Like, I, I think um, uh, Lane Bryant just came out with um, their line. It's a new uh, Christian Siriano or whatever. And just to see her being the spokesperson for a fashion line. I'm just like, damn, baby. Like, I'm just, I'm so <laughs> proud of her. You know what I mean? And, oh, I, and I, I think it. this is such a great um, inspiration for little black girls, for little brown girls, seeing these women, you know, showing that it's, it's about hard work and it's about talent. You know what I mean? It's not about the size of the clothes you wear or how long your weave is or, you know, how light your skin is. It's <laughs> really just being there. But your just, talent. Yeah, you know, I think um, Denzel Washington, he did an interview a couple of years ago, and he was talking about how his daughter, uh, I forget what her name is, uh, she went to NYU to study acting, and he and she was like, well, Dad, what should I do? And he was like, the only person you need to study is Viola Davis. Forget everybody else. He's like, you want a career like it, Viola Davis, because he told her, and he was like, I, I kept it real with her. He was like, listen, you're black, you're dark-skinned, and you're a woman. So already, you know, be a good they're going to be looking at you sideways. So you need to learn how to sing, to act, to dance, to direct. You need to learn how to do everything, you know. And, you know, some people were mad at Denzel for telling her that. But I was like, for what? Like, why are we acting like that's not true? You know, it, it, that is the industry that, that exists. But I'm glad that 
Broadway has this space for, you know, people who look like Danielle, people who look like Danae, people who look like Lupita, you know. So, yeah, I'm just so proud of them. It has for years. I mean, last year, the Tony Award, one of the Tony Award winners was Ruthie Ann Miles, who was from the King and I, Asian woman. She, I, one of the re- one of the many reasons I wanted to be King and I. They keep on. What's interesting about the King and I? They keep on changing the races of the people in the King and I. Every single second, there's this like I know. Um, what's his name? Uh, Ken Watanabe was doing it at one point. Daniel Day Kim is now doing it. Now I'm just like, I need to see this now. This is like, this is like the top of my list. Daniel Day Kim is, he means the world to me at this point. And um, there's, I forget the woman. Uh, there's now a white actress who's very famous. I can't think of her name right now. She is playing the opposite lead. But yeah. um, that that's just, I just, I just love it. Haven't there um, been like four Actors who've been like since Ken Watanabe isn't it like Daniel J. Kim like the fourth Asian actor to play the lead? Am, am I am I bugging? I feel like I saw a picture on Twitter of all four of them together or something like that. Yeah, that could definitely be correct because I don't think Ken Watanabe did it for more than a year. I want to oh, say okay. so. Yeah. There was probably somebody that I'm not thinking of before him for sure. Mm. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. Daniel J. Kim. Um, I saw the picture of him with the faux hawk. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hot this. Okay. Hot this. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was like, people. I was like, how y'all sleeping on Daniel Day Kim? I don't understand mm-hmm. this. I mean, he was on Lost, which was one of the biggest TV shows. He's not new. You know what I mean? Like he's. No. I don't watch Hawaii Five-0. I tried. I just can't get into CBS programming. But I will definitely pay to see Daniel Day Kim. And I didn't even know he could sing. I, I'm I'm very surprised. Me I, neither. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that Ken Watanabe can sing either. I'm just like, wait, Me you're neither. a singer too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I, yeah, it's just interesting. I guess because it's Piggy or that this is the the same year that Oscar So White happened. Mm-hmm. Again. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, the diversity in on Broadway is not a new concept at all. Like, I think just people are just not as familiar. Well, you know, Broadway is just not as accessible, honestly, as the big screen. But Broadway has been doing really, just really inspired um, casting for years. So yep. we need to support that. <laughs> Um, what else do I want to say about? I haven't seen the color purple yet. Really want to. Um, but yeah, that I think. Oh, and Sophie Okonedo. Did we talk about her? No. Oh, no. Yes. She um is nominated. Um, The Crucible. Oh wow. Oh. Mm-hmm. So another adaptation of Arthur Miller's Crucible, which I haven't seen, but I heard about it. I heard she's very good in it. I just I didn't even realize that she was in it until. After she was nominated, so she's nominated yeah. for best. Is that uh, leading or or supporting? Let me see. I want to say sure. she's leading. Mm-hmm. Let me just double check. Um, I want to say she's leading. Mm-hmm. Yes, she's leading. Yeah, which she, is pretty cool. I just. Like, she's such a talented actress. I, I just look at, like, I'm like, what? she should be in more movies. She should just be in more things, period. And I just don't mm-hmm, understand mm-hmm. the resistance for, you know, a lot of um, studios or whatever in casting. 
Sophie, but um, I do know there's a, my friends have been telling me about it. Um, there's a BBC series, uh, Sophie Okonedo and Adrian Lester in it. It's called Undercover. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Either Undercover or Undercovers, and people are raving about this show. They're like, it is so good. But, of course, it's not coming to BBC America until, like, November, <laughs> October and November. So you you can watch it on the torrent at the risk of getting a computer virus. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to see if I can get a hookup if we can watch it. But, yeah, everybody's been raving about her, her performance in, in Undercovers. But, yeah, just in general, she's just yeah. in more movies. Yes, period. oh, she's She's amazing, amazing actress. Um, And it's interesting, I feel like when it comes to British um, black actors, I feel like black actors, British black actors, get more play than British black women, um, black actresses. Like, I feel like they're still stuck in, like, this BBC, like, thing that they they get stuck in and they're not they're not really accepted in America or as accepted in America as like an Idris Elba who's everywhere um but yeah I feel like the women I don't I don't see them as much I mean of course there's um oh gosh what is her name Google mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah there is this few and far between because Sophie I, I there's Candy Newton yeah Candy yeah. Who's also uh, on another? I want to say uh-huh. she's on a BBC show. She's on a British network show as well. Oh, oh, Sandy mm-hmm. Newton. I need to. I need yep. to look that up. Yeah, I, I think yep. you're onto something there because when I think of like like the way Idris is broken through, there's not a female equip. There's not a black actress equivalent of mm-hmm. the the level of success that that Idris has had. And I have a suspicion. I just have a theory. I could be totally wrong here, but I have a feeling that. And this is just more limited to um, the the major Hollywood studios. Is that they are still um, married to this idea of what black women should be? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the, like the, the tropes, the different types of tropes and stereotypes, like the neck snapping and the sassy black best friend. Sophie Okonedo mm-hmm. is not going to do that. No, not, she's not. Actually, <laughs> a lot of black American actresses don't fit into that either. I mean, let's keep it real. Right. A lot of black American yeah. actresses don't fit into it. But Hollywood mm-hmm. is is still married to this idea. So when someone like Google or Sophie walks in, they're just like, ah, they're British. They don't, you know what I mean? Like they can't play, right. they can't play, which is the kind of roles that they only have available for us. You know what I mean? So they just mm-hmm. kind of look them over and they don't, you know what I mean? And, but yeah, I mean, it's the same for, they don't know what yeah, to do with it. Yeah. And it's the same for black American actresses, you know, on any given day on Twitter or any article you can read about, you know, African-American actresses, that, you know, will walk into a, you know, um, um, an audition and they'll be like, um, give us more attitude, give us more sass, give us more, mm. you know what I mean? So this is the fight that we're still fighting in, I don't know, but yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, so... Next Sunday, Be There, Be Square, Tony's on CBS at 8 p.m. Thank you, Kim. Woo! <laughs> um, let's see. So last but not least, we're going to talk about um, Muhammad Ali, the late, great Muhammad Ali, the champ, the greatest, all of that. Um, and we're just going to talk about, <laughs> we're going to talk about some of the portrayals that we thought were particularly noteworthy um, from the big screen and why. I'm going to start with Kevin. All right. Um, For me, it's weird because I'm not like that sports person or I never was that sports person. 
But somehow in, like, the last year, year and a half, I've become obsessed with sports documentaries. Like, I have seen so many. It's not even funny. And then with, you know, Creed, I watched a lot of boxing movies. So, um, actually, last night, my new film of the day was the documentary I Am Ali, which is on Netflix until Thursday. I was hoping maybe they'd extend that in light of recent events, but I don't know. Um, And basically, this kind of just chronicles his entire career. Um, It starts, uh, what makes this one particularly good that I thought was, He recorded conversations, um, a lot of phone conversations. Um, When he divorced his first wife, he recorded phone conversations with his girls that he would call. Um, He recorded conversations with, you know, his manager, just different people on his team. So throughout the film, you get, you know, him talking to these very influential people in his life and kind of, you know, getting his state of mind at certain points of his career. Um, they talked about, um, you know, when he, he was like, you know, 18, when he started boxing, he beat Sonny Liston, which no one expected to happen. And then, you know, he immediately, he converts to Islam and changes his name and how that impacted his career and, you know, his decision not to um, go to the draft and basically being charged mm-hmm. for that and losing his belt and going through all of that. Um but it's interesting because you get to see a more, I guess, well-rounded view of him than mm-hmm. you get in other aspects because you get his, you know, first-hand opinion. Um, I also like that you got to see him as a father. You know, we know the humanitarian things that he did. We know his athletic career. But just seeing him and his interactions with his kids on the phone and just seeing the archive footage is really cool. Um they also interviewed two of his daughters, his older his oldest daughter, Miriam, and then one of his middle daughters, Hannah, and just hearing them talk about their father was really good. Um, you know, they talked about he's not a perfect man. He had, you know, children outside of the marriage. Um, I think he was married four times. He had mm-hmm. children in between there within those marriages. But he always made a point mm-hmm. for them to all get together in California. So they all knew that they had, you know, half-siblings. Um, but they all knew each other. They all had interactions with each other. It wasn't like, you know, a secret child over here and another secret child over here. He made sure that his kids all knew each other and they all spent time with each other, see that aspect of it as well. Um, It also talked about some of his, you know, some of the biggest battles that he had as far as with uh, Joe Frazier and how, you know, even after they had their three fights, Joe Frazier was still kind of mad at Muhammad Ali, and that kind of hurt him. He took, you know, Joe was taking that so real personal, and Muhammad was like, you know, kind of, you know, it's a job. You have to box you, you know, all the trash that he was talking was a part of the game, and Joe wasn't really feeling that until the very end where they did kind of reconcile. But um, like I said, I Am Ali, it's on Netflix, it's really great great documentary because of the, you know, the audio journals and because they talked to people that were really there with him at the time. Mm. Um, I highly recommend it. You have a couple days to check it out on Netflix. Um, Mm. Another one that I saw was Muhammad versus Larry, which talks about his, um, I think it's one of his next to last fights. I think this is like the third time he had come out of retirement and Mm -hmm. kind of chronicles his his fight with Larry Holmes. And basically this one is kind of, it's a little heartbreaking because all the signs leading up to it was saying that this fight should not happen. Like Ali was not in the best of health. 
but they kind of cleared mm-hmm. him to fight anyway. He was showing early signs of Parkinson's disease, although no one really knew what it was at the time. Um, and not that it would have changed anything if he hadn't had the fight, but it just really should not have happened. Like, the fight just really should not have happened. He was a lot older. He was not in the greatest health. Um, and I think they filmed all of this, you know, at the time that it was happening, I think in the early 80s, but it never got released until 2009. So then you have um, – Larry Holmes kind of reflecting back on the situation, everyone involved. They're like, now they're like, no, this should not have happened. Even though he went on to have another mm. fight after this, which really shouldn't have happened. <laughs> but that was just another really good documentary where you get a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff of what was going on at the time. You know, he was such a great fighter. And, you know, you want to have this idea of someone going out on top at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. And those last two fights that he had were just really not the Muhammad Ali that everyone was so used to seeing. And so it's just mm-hmm. kind of bittersweet in that aspect. But those are two that I think kind of capture the, the essence of everything that Muhammad Ali was. Hmm. I have a meeting to watch I Am Ali, and I... I put it. I officially put it in my queue as you were speaking because I was like, hey, "This is ridiculous. I have to definitely watch it now." I hear really good things about it, and I feel like I thought this was this was nominated for an Oscar, but I guess it was nominated for nothing. So, anyway, Rebecca, what what do you think about in terms of cine- cinematic narratives and his story? Um. I mean, I know. <laughs> I think for me, like, Ali was so, he was such a huge personality. Like, I actually mm-hmm. prefer the documentaries as opposed to the film adaptations. Like, I, I think Will Smith did a good job in Ali. I think, I think he did a, he brought a certain swag and an energy to it. Um, I didn't love the movie. I just, I was just sort of like Michael Mann kind of, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like he was right for the movie. That's just my personal opinion. But I just feel like the documentaries, like when you get to see the real Ali, like those are the ones. That, like I saw I Am Ali. Um, I forget the name of the one. Um, that was the one where he had the fight in Africa. I think it was Rumble in the Jungle. Like, mm-hmm. those, like that is my favorite one because um, I think for a couple of reasons, it was just kind of seeing him going to this other country because he has been so outspoken about black pride in America and then see him actually go to the motherland, you know what I mean? And then to see how the people over there just embraced him, even though there was a language barrier, you know, so that you can communicate with them, but you, you could feel the love and just kind of just seeing him just sort of like embracing um, his heritage. I just thought that was just, so beautiful and um yeah i mean yeah I, I just feel like the documentaries just do him more justice than any movie i'm sure and i'm sure now that he's passed unfortunately and i'm sure people will try to take advantage of this and there'll be like four or five movies that'll try to be green lighted about ali and i'm just like yeah i just need to sit down and just take a break <laughs> don't do it <laughs> that is for another five years you know what i'm saying like let's just keep him as he is. He was just, like, he was, I don't know, it, it was weird because it was, like, yesterday, um, you know, when he passed away, you had a lot of people, you know, celebrities, not celebrities, that were saying how, um, you know, Ali transcended race. And I was just like, 
I'm not really sure what that. Well, I think we know what that means, but I was just like, I'm not sure how you could get that all out of everything that Muhammad Ali stood for. I'm not sure how you can get transcended race out of that, um, because he was very proud of his heritage. He was very proud of being black, um, you know, and he was very open about as to why he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. Right, and and that was intentional. So for you to say that, oh, I didn't see color when I saw Muhammad Ali. Are you crazy? Like, of course you did. Like, that's not, you know what I mean. So I I just kind of feel like if you really want to honor the man, you do have to acknowledge his blackness and his humanity. And I think you know, for you know, we saw this with Prince. People were saying the same thing. Prince transcended race. There just seems to be this thing that when black celebrities or black um, uh, icons pass away that somehow that they transcended their race. And it's like our race isn't a disease. It isn't something that we're trying to overcome. You know what I mean? Because I, I have yet to see an obituary, and I wrote this, I, was, I have yet to see an obituary about a famous woman who says, oh, she transcended her gender. Nobody will ever write right. something like that. You know what I mean? Because our gender is part of what informs us as a person, how we walk in the world. Um, I, I think somebody wrote, they were like, the more correct thing would be that <laughs> he transcended people's bigotry and racism. Mm-hmm. Right. I was like, yeah, that I sounds think, about right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's just not the best worded. But I think you know, this is kind of another classic example of pe- non-black people who are, who want to kind of be a part of a conversation where they might not really be invited to. <laughs> and so in order, in order for them to be in the conversation, they have to deconstruct what the actual conversation is and insert themselves yep. in it. Um, And so I think this is another example of that. But, you know, he was somebody who everybody had an opinion on, whether it was positive or not, although it's overwhelmingly positive from just my my personal life. It's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, But, yeah, every – he was kind of one of those super – just such a fascinating person. Just everything about him I thought was fascinating. He did – he went way beyond just, just you know. He he was be he was an over, he was an above average athlete, an above average like regular everyday person. He was an above average humanitarian. Like everything he did was so much. He exceeded your greatest expectations. He exceeded his own expectations. And so he was one of those. And he was also complicated. He was he was flawed. Um, and so as great as he was, he was definitely flawed. And I think, um, I, for some reason, I, I'm, I'm not equating the two characters or the two people, but, um, because they both contributed so much and were obviously brilliant, um, but obviously flawed as well. So I think about the adaptations or the iterations of, um, Steve Jobs and how, none of them have just gotten right. They, I mean, I wasn't well-versed in Steve Jobs, but the way that he's portrayed in narrative film is so caricaturistic that I don't feel like we've even touched the surface of who he is. And while I actually did like the Michael Mann film, mostly for the cinematography and um, Jamie Foxx's performance, who I thought was exquisite in that, um, 
But I think that documentaries would probably be the best way to portray him. And I would say also Nina Simone. I would put her in that category as well. People who were yes. flawed, but obviously mm-hmm. brilliant and contributed so much. So those three characters, I think, are people who probably would be better served hearing their story through their own words. Um, and through their own, you know, just hearing them, even like for the Nina Simone movie, we heard like old interviews and there were a couple of Steve Jobs um, documentaries that were, he was interviewed. Um, people who knew him, like the real people who knew him were interviewed, um, were interviewed in the film. Same thing with Ali. He's kind of one of those people that we just need to kind of hear from him. He's, he, he was just so, he was so larger than life. Um, yeah. and so complex that documentaries might be um, just a more accurate portrayal. Yeah. I, you know what movie yeah. came to my head um, when you were talking about that, Candace? Um, that movie about <laughs> Get On Up, uh, the James Brown movie. Oh, and, oh, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Five. <laughs> but the, thing, the, the thing that, like, like you said about, you know, are these icons having flaws and being, you know, three dimensional people or complex characters. And it was just it was just very jarring to me that, you know, in Get On Up, they the way that they address um the domestic abuse between James uh, Brown and one of his wives, they introduced it in an almost comical way, right? It was like mm-hmm. him and Jill Scott, and all of a sudden he's just beating her. And it was crazy because there's people in the audience, like I went to a screening, and people were laughing. But, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, this is not funny. Like, this is horrible. You know what I mean? And it mm-hmm. was just like, see, right there, no. You know, whereas I feel mm-hmm. like a documentary would have, handle that with more sensitivity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is not to say, you know, excusing James Brown or anything, but yeah, like even within when you when you dramatize someone's life, you still have a certain responsibility that if you are going to show mm-hmm. the flaws, don't just throw it in as a throwaway. Like you just saw that scene and then it just moved on to the next scene and it yeah. never addressed that. And I was like, really guys? That's how mm-hmm. we're okay. So mm-hmm. yeah. That was such a jarring scene because it was kind of just like by itself. I was like, okay, I guess we're not going to talk about that. Like, that was kind of a major <laughs> moment. And then it just like never even referenced it again. I was just like, yeah, that was awkward. That, that movie was so awkward. It's just the way it dealt with all of his relationships with women as if they were non-existent or comedy or, yeah. But yeah, we've moved past that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I think the the, the um uh the um uh what is it the Jamie Foxx the Ray Charles movie I think did a better job I think mm-hmm. because it it dealt with his infidelity um and his drug abuse I I mm-hmm. felt like they were like yeah we're gonna tell you what's up <laughs> you know what the I mean? real so, deal yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. yeah that was a great great movie. Yeah. All right. Well, that concludes today's show. Unless you guys have any other comments. Yay, nay. Nope. No. No. Nope. Nope. That's it. <laughs> That's it. One, Game of Thrones once again. tonight. All right. <laughs> and Penny <laughs> Dreadful. Penny Dreadful. Oh, Penny um, Dreadful. Oh, my God. You guys. Oh, my yeah. God. This show. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I cannot. <laughs> I cannot. I mean, uh, Kim, you you watch Penny Dreadful, right? 
I don't. Okay, we gotta get you on there. Gotta get you on there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's yes. fantastic. So good. This is the third mm-hmm. season, right? Right, Candace? Yeah, season three. Yep. Yep. Oh Lord, so much <laughs> going on. I'm just like I just so sit much. there like holding my head like, what the hell is going on? But it's great. Poor Vanessa. It's, yeah. Hashtag that, poor Vanessa. <laughs> That's what I said. Like, this girl, I can't. I can't. Yeah, but last episode was really cool because at first, just, you know, the storyline with Ethan and his dad, I was like, okay, he's kind of like going through the desert. Are we having to, like, he has a really messed up relationship yeah. with his dad. That, I don't even know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I am really looking forward to tonight's episode. And I am, I am, have said this, I am shipping, shipping so hard for Dr. Jekyll and Frankenstein. They're so hot. <laughs> I, like, I, th- I really think that Jekyll is in love with him, and I think Frankenstein is just kind of, like, acting. Victor is just really acting like, oh, do-do-do-do-do. I don't know what you're talking about. But, like, the way he looks at him, I'm like, you guys totally deserve each other. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I never once thought that. That's yeah, so look, look funny. at it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look at that tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies. Thanks for chatting. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, we'll be yeah. back in two weeks for another Twitter chat. Yay. Yep. Have a good Bye. week, everyone. Bye. Bye.